0: Looking down at the corner of the room, still over there, I'm to start. Back. Okay, we'll fall down, John.
1: What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Day of Cable Presents podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the program. If this is your first time listening, fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Podomatic, and the official website for the show, DanCampbellPresents.com. The new episode is always uploaded there as soon as it pops into the feed. If you want to help support the show in a free way, the best way to do so is subscribing on iTunes. And uh, clicking write a review, giving the show five stars, say a few nice words, and that is super helpful in shooting the podcast up into the iTunes charts and uh, making it more nationally visible so others find it. Um, Also, you can check out the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel that features in-studio performances, live performances, a short documentary that I put together on a band called Tribe Mars. Uh, And um, yeah, you can hit subscribe there as well. And, uh, then you will know when the, uh, the new videos have been uploaded. Most recently I put up some videos from Boca, uh, Portland rapper performing at the White Eagle featuring Dante Thomas as well. Uh, so two new videos up there They came out great. So shout out to Forrest Brennan and my man, Mountaineer Mike is always for, uh, just putting together some really clean production on both the, the visual and audio side can't can't make things happen without those two dudes. Um yeah, other than that, uh before we get into this episode which I'm extremely excited about, we got a we got a real a real great episode. I'll tell you, I feel like it's a it's a milestone for the for the show. Not only is it episode 115, we've got a we've got a guest that has some uh some accolades you know and uh someone that's been in this this rock and roll business this music business for a long time but um uh, before that just a couple calendar dates Ape, uh June rather because we're in June June 18th is uh the the hive mind monday it's a free event at the Alberta Street Pub and uh that's that's the hive mind collective curating uh, a monthly events so you're gonna get a lot of hip-hop and R&B uh, always killer lineups and and just killer people that show up to those so if you if you love hip-hop and R&B or, or you want to get more acquainted with some of the stuff going on in the in the city of Portland that is a great night to go check it out so Monday that's June 18th this coming Monday over there at the Alberta Street pub I was at the Alberta Street pub last night for the uh, local roots uh, singer-songwriter contest and I was uh I was given the opportunity to be a judge uh one of one of four judges and had a really good time it's always interesting judging people's music cuz it's it is so subject subjective um we had a few different categories of folks that we were uh judging and uh yeah just shout out to to all the all the contestants there that got to that, that finalist round and congrats to all the winners. There was, there was a lot of good music. Uh, luckily all of the judges were, were kind of able to, uh, come together collectively and, and pick some winners. And there wasn't, um, a whole lot of back and forth. It was, it was, uh, maybe between two people every time, but it seemed like we, we were able to develop a system where no one was upset about who we picked and whatnot. So uh very good time. Local roots goes down there also at the Alberta street pub once a month. And it's, it's all local music from the Pacific Northwest and they do some live recordings and whatnot. So thank you to them for reaching out to, to have me there. It was a super fun offense. Uh, black milk is here. The great rapper black milk is here on the 20th. So, I suggest you you check that out, and uh, follow me on Instagram at Dan Cable Presents to to find out about other local shows. Or check out Vortex Music Magazine. I will put the link for that in the episode notes. Uh, Vortex is a an online music magazine as well as a physical publication that uh, I contribute to pretty regularly. Last thing that I uh, did was a show review for the. Ezra Bell album release show. If you haven't checked out that Ezra Bell record, do so. Also, the Moto Pony, they opened on that show. Love both those bands. Uh, Hoping to get Ezra Bell on the podcast soon. So look forward to that. And yeah, aside from that, like I said, please uh, rate and review the show. It's so helpful. It's a free way to support. Free content coming at you. And uh, it's just incredibly um incredibly helpful in in this building sustainability for the show and, and hopefully attracting more sponsorship to the show and things like that and and also just giving more exposure to each artist that comes on the show and uh this week's episode it's episode 115 which it's crazy that we're already this deep in, into passing that that number 100 milestone because that was such a big deal. And and now we're already 15 episodes away from that. And uh, sometimes I get to do really cool shit as the result of, of putting in the time of, of putting together 100 episodes. And I feel like this thing continues to, to build momentum and gain credibility, not only in portland and the pacific northwest but uh amongst some some others from around the country who uh who are kind enough to to send me music on a regular basis and ask me if i want to talk to these bands and this is one of those situations where where someone sends me an email and asks me if i can do some coverage on this this show and it, it happens to be kt tunstall and uh I feel like a lot of you are are trying to figure out right now. I know that name. I know that name, and some of you are just stoked. You saw that KT. tunstall is is the title of this episode, and you're like, "Dude, how did you get KT on the show?" And um, I was just very fortunate that someone reached out and I said, "Hey, I would love to sit down for 30 minutes or so, if possible, before KT. takes the stage over there at Edgefield, and she was um she was here in, in Portland at, at the Edgefield there. Um, Edgefield is killer amphitheater. Um, if you haven't been to a show there and you live in the Pacific Northwest, I, I highly suggest you get tickets for something cause it's, it's a beautiful venue. And, um, as far as an outdoor venue, it sounds amazing there. So she, she was here on tour with better than Ezra and the bare naked ladies. And, uh, they're still out, out and about on that right now, but just a crazy opportunity. Um, when you hear this, the first song that I'm gonna kick off the show with, um, which is called "Black Horse and the Cherry Tree," you'll you'll know you'll know who the, who this is if you don't already. And um, I t- I talked to KT a bit about the song and and how it popped off and whatnot. Um, I had the pleasure of of going through her catalog pretty heavy in preparation for this, and I learned that I I really enjoy this woman's music, and especially her most recent two records. And um, if you're a singer-songwriter fan, I highly suggest that you uh, check out Invisible Empire and Crescent Moon. That has become one of my favorite records. There's so much cool shit that happens on that, and I also talked to her about about that particular record. KT was incredibly gracious with her time. Um, She let me go a little bit longer, and and it was pretty cool because she had, up against my interview, she had a phone interview right away. So um, when it came time for her to take the phone call, she asked me if I was if i was down to stick around and we could continue our chat after and she let me do like another 20 minutes which was such a a cool feeling and just to know that she wanted to keep talking and it wasn't it wasn't something that she felt obligated to do and uh just from the get-go of this conversation she put me at ease very quickly and i i think i think sometimes when when I get the opportunity to talk to a larger artist, it's you get some of those nerves, but I was, I was just instantly at ease with KT and, and she just made me feel, uh, very comfortable. And I knew the conversation was going well when, uh, when she high-fived me, we had a couple high fives during this podcast. And, uh, I was like, all right, we're, we're, uh, we're on the right track here. And I couldn't have asked for a better conversation. And, she was incredibly sweet and, like I said, gracious with her time and um, just such a fun experience to, to sit down with her and, and talk to her about the early days of her career and, and how it got going, but also kind of geek out on her last couple records, which I enjoy so much. I will put the episode uh, notes, I will put the links rather, in the episode notes so it's easy to find. Oh my God. I'm sorry. These allergies, these Pacific Northwest allergies are destroying my life this week. I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, I don't want to waste too much of your time up top. Um, but like I said, this is so rad. I can't believe (laughs) this is, this is somebody that's had a, a top 20 billboard hit. So this is, this is a very big deal to me. And, uh, I feel so fortunate to to have this experience and then to get to be backstage at, at this incredibly cool venue and yeah, I just never, I never thought I'd be cruising backstage talking to KT Tunstall. I'll tell you what, that was, that was not something that, that I foresaw, but I feel like life keeps surprising me and, and I'm just really trying to to grind on this thing and and see how far it can take me and, and what kind of experiences it can provide. And, and even just getting the free show tickets to any of these shows is such a, such a cool gift for, for doing this. And it's not something that I expect, but sometimes I get placed on the guest list for things and, and whatnot. And, and that's, that's something I'm incredibly grateful for. So much love to Katie Tunstall for, for sitting down and chatting with me and, um, check out, check out Kin, which is her most recent record. Um, but yeah, check out the catalog. I, I hope I wanted to feature a little bit of everything on this. I want to feature black horse and the cherry tree because I feel like it's important. Um, to provide some context and for for who this is because like i said i think you're just gonna know right away that you know this song and you've heard it somewhere whether it's on the radio or walking in the grocery store it's it's just one of those jams that that you know that you've heard it somewhere and uh but we also feature some songs off her, her last two records and and that's where i really connected with her music and so cool to get to talk to her. So thank you to her and, and Alex, her her tour manager who's incredibly kind as well. And and Sarah, her her uh her PR representative for uh, just continuing to send me music and whatnot. So let's get it. Let's get, let's get into this thing. This is episode one hundred and fifteen with Katie Tunstall and uh this is Black Horse and the Cherry Tree.
0: <laughs> Ooh
2: Ooh Ooh, Ooh. Ooh. Well, my heart knows it better than I know myself so I'm going to let it do all the talking Ooh Ooh I came across a place in the middle of nowhere with a big black horse and a cherry tree Ooh Ooh I fell on my back. on I said, don't look back, just keep on walking Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo. When the big black car said, look this way He said, hey, that day, will you marry me? Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo. But I said, no, 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 no I said, no, no, you're not the one for me No, no, you're not the one for me ooh. And my heart hit a problem in the early hours So I stopped it dead for a beat or two Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo. But I cut some cord and I shouldn't have done it And it won't forgive me after all these years ooh so send it to a place in the middle of nowhere With a big black horse and a cherry tree Woo-hoo Now I won't come back Cause it's all so happy And now i got a hold for the world to see Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. And it said no, no No, 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 no Said no, no You're not the one for me No no, 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 Say no, no. You're not the one for me. Ooh. Ooh. Not for me.
1: KT, yo, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm super pumped s- at the opportunity to sit down with you for yeah. For we're a sitting few in
3: like the coolest. Swedish sauna dressing room. It's so cool. <laughs> it
1: is very similar to a sauna. <laughs>
3: Except it's not as warm, but it's really cool. What an amazing place this is.
1: Yeah, Edgefield is uh, pretty pretty awesome. The yeah. Minutemen's deal in general. They, they do like a lot of cool repurposing of spaces, and and this is just like a really special outdoor amphitheater to see music for sure. So. Yeah,
3: I always enjoy playing places where they've kind of set it up as a as a as a, a non temporary outdoor live situation it feels like a very kind of bedded in great yeah. venue here
1: i would imagine that that's that's like a, a very cool thing for you now that yeah. you're so far along in your career to kind of well to that. it's
3: just i think also being british it's quite hard in the summer to you, you the weather's so unpredictable there aren't that many um you know like dedicated outdoor venues that will be there all the time and so it's really cool as a british person to come to the states and there's these permanent Great kind of outdoor festival vibe places.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How long have you been out on this this tour with Bare Neck well, Ladies and Ezra? it's been a week and it
3: feels like about a month. That's awesome. <laughs> In a good way, but it's the first time I've ever done a U.S. tour self-driving an RV. Oh. We're doing it super old school and I've done it. I mean, I must have toured for, I've probably done like 15 tours of the U.S. on a tour bus, but I, I've never done it the proper old school rock and roll way of driving ourselves. And it's, I'm solo. So it's just me, a, t- a tour manager and a guitar tech. And it's just crazy taking out like a full 12 bunk tour bus. Yeah. So we were like, you know what? Let's just do it. And it's crazy. It's such a mad experience. Cause first of all, you understand how vast the country is. You're not just waking up on the tour bus in the morning, having done 12 hour drive overnight. Um, we were driving through Montana the other day and we saw, uh, fork of lightning hit the field probably about 100 feet away from us and the ground like lit up red it was
2: awesome
3: (laughs) so i expect we're going to see some pretty crazy things over the next month
1: yeah especially like in the month of june it's kind of this unpredictable (laughs) month of weather yeah um originally from scotland right that's right yeah and how how early on did you pick up an instrument
3: very young actually so i i'm a black sheep of my family i didn't my family aren't musical at all, really. And, uh, and even more weirdly, my parents didn't listen to music at all. Um, And then my little brother was born when I was four, and he was born deaf. So it was also life would be more difficult for him if there was background noise. So we didn't usually have the radio or um, whatnot. But my, my dad had like a few cassettes, he had a he had Billie Holiday, which was awesome. I didn't really get it when I was young, but he had uh, Tom Lehrer, who's like a weird Harvard mathematician, satirist songwriter, who's brilliant. He did that Table of Elements song with like helium and oxygen, live it it's really good. <laughs> and then he also had the soundtrack for Chariots of Fire, the B-side of which is great, by the way. Um... But so I really didn't have much outside input, but I just really wanted to play an instrument. So I asked my teacher at kindergarten or um, primary school, as we call it, um, played piano. So I asked for a piano when I was four and uh, started piano lessons when I was really young.
1: Yeah. Did it did it click in for you pretty quickly? Yeah, like once definitely. You sat it was just very,
3: very kind of. You know, it just felt very natural for me to play an instrument. I picked it up really quickly. Um, so I was classically trained on piano. And then I, I also actually classically trained on the flute. When I was like 11, I took up the flute. And I started writing some songs on piano, but it was super cheeseball. It was just like Richard Marx times 10. <laughs> and I was sort of, I was 15 when I started writing songs. I'd always like creative writing. But I just started like writing about miles cheating on Claudia in Dynasty because that's what I was watching at the time and uh, and then actually at 15 I picked up guitar, a lot of things, a lot of kind of currents uh, like Forged into the river How I'm like my brain is fried I can't get any of my words out There was a kind of Concurrence of of elements When I was 15 First of all I picked up a guitar Secondly my dad Got a satellite dish So we got cable And I saw MTV For the first time Game changer and, and, Game changer And Loser by Beck Had just come out As had Fool's Gold By the Stone Roses And I mean I grew up in the 80s So it was wicked pop music Like Madonna Whitney Houston Wham I mean just Just um, Duran Duran, The Cure, amazing pop. But none of it really made me go, I want to do that. And it wasn't really till I saw the video for Loser by Beck where I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> and I, that music speaks to me. And at the same time, I also met a bunch of local musicians in St Andrews, which is a very little town, it's famous for golf, but it's a small town. It was about 11,000 when I was growing up and kind of on the northeast coast of Scotland, quite rugged. Um, no gigs going on really, but I, there's a really cool scene of outsider folk artists in Fife, which is the county where I live. And I did my first gig when I was 16 in a pub in a back room and, and the lead singer of a local band saw me. His name's King Creasote, he's quite a celebrated, kind of alternative folk musician now. And, uh, and he was 10 years older than me and asked if I would join his band. And that changed everything. It was the first time I'd met musicians.
1: So and then I would imagine that that introduced all this different input, having all these musicians maybe throwing music at you that that you had maybe never even heard of.
3: Totally. And uh, actually a big game changer, too, was I got a scholarship to do my senior year of high school in America. So I actually when I was 17, I went over to Connecticut for a year to Kent School and. The school was great but I also went and stayed with people on spring break. I went to Texas, I went to Vermont. I spent a lot of time in Vermont and uh, busked on the street, played on the street there in Church Street Burlington and went uh, to Chicago a little bit and played some open mic nights. And so it, and I met people who were obsessed with music, so suddenly I was listening to all this music I'd never heard before, the Flaming Lips, Ali Farkatura, uh, you know, Left Field, Chemical Brothers, all this wicked stuff that, that I'd sort of, I guess, been a bit sheltered from where I grew up. And it's weird because my hometown is, St. Andrews has got a really great musical background because if anyone's familiar with the Beta Band, they were from there as well. And uh, I met them on coming back from America. I was hanging out with the local St. And Andrews musicians and they were around. So there was definitely good pockets of inspiration um, where I was. But I, that really forged a relationship with America for me that has that only got stronger. And, and I live in Venice Beach, Los Angeles.
1: Um, yeah. How long before was it? That you were playing shows where there was like a buzz and and an attraction to what you were doing years
3: (laughs) it took a long time like Like,
1: was that happening back in in so
3: i was playing with the band of my friend's band which was called the scooby-doo orchestra but it was spelled all gaelic so it's like with b's and h's in it and um they were basically like a kind of punk bluegrass band um very rhythmic, very kind of aggressive folk <laughs> it was ag- agro folk and um, but I learned a lot about playing live and busking playing on the street was a big deal in terms of cutting my teeth becoming a live performer you've just got to get over feeling awkward and just go for it and I'd started out as a picking guitarist and I j- the, the cool thing was I taught myself guitar and singing I didn't get any lessons there so I had the sort of theory training from being a pianist but um, I'm not a very good pianist to be honest but um, it was great to have that kind of emancipation to teach myself. Uh, how to do what I actually do now and um, so I was really finding my way finding my style and uh, playing on the street showed me that if I was going to make any money doing that I was going to have to become a rhythm guitarist I couldn't be a picker it was just no one would hear me Um, so and then I started kind of using the guitar a bit more percussively and wanting it to sort of sound like I had a drum kit playing with me and um, and really that's what led to the looping
1: yeah and just creating the full sound and yeah exactly yeah so um and then i had the telescope that's that's the first that was the first record
3: record. so you asked when when the buzz started so i think i was very lucky in that every time i played a show i would always have like two people three people come up to me and just go how come you're not signed i love your stuff how can i buy it and i think and it took 10 years for me to get a record deal. I didn't actually get my record deal till I was twenty nine, and for many years I'd stayed in Scotland and tried to stay independent. I didn't want to sign to a record company. It felt like kind of signing my soul away. And when I did, it kind of did feel like that. But I'd got to a point where I realized I wasn't going to be able to make a living unless I, I signed up with the devil of the you industry. Need a song. Yeah, you need, you I need needed to get the music out there and 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 have some help. You know. Um, But I guess when it really started was in my early 20s, I started making pilgrimages down to London. And my friend Tim was a a cameraman, a videographer that I'd met at college. And he had a a house in in North London with a bunch of friends. And they were all quite professional, but they were all really cool. So like one girl was working in the city, but she was super cool. And they were really like-minded people, but they had proper jobs. So when i went to stay with them i would go in and stay while i was trying to you know have meetings and do gigs and i felt so bad sleeping on their living room floor because they would have to get up at seven in the morning and like make breakfast and go to work so to kind of feel less guilty about it i used to pull their sofa away from the wall by like three feet and sleep behind their sofa <laughs> so it's like pretending i actually wasn't there um and yeah, so I had, I basically spent some of the time sleeping behind Tim's sofa and uh, so the rest of the time in Scotland, but I was starting to do open mic nights and there was a particular open mic night in London called the Cashmere Club, which is sadly no more, but it, uh, it was really cool. It was run by this guy, Tony Moore, who I'm still friends with, and he was very supportive and James Blunt was playing there and a couple of other artists who then went on to get signed. And um it was very cool because it was free, but the payment was that you didn't speak. You had to be quiet and you would kind of pretty much get ejected if you were talking um, during the performances, which was just gold dust as a burgeoning singer-songwriter to have people actually listen. And... Uh, and that led me to actually starting my own music night in Edinburgh. So I I was sort of going down to London, and then when I was back home in Edinburgh, I started a music night called Acoustic Extravaganza in one of the Edinburgh festival venues called the Gilded Saloon, and uh, that was awesome. And I I ran the same policy. It was it was a free it was free to get in, but you had to listen.
1: That's killer. Mm. I always love when, you know, even just like an, a local Portland artist will. Uh Like someone really well well respected in the scene starts their own night. Well,
3: I mean, a lot of the time when people do that is so that you can have a gig, so that you can have a quality controlled, great gig for yourself. But it's a great way of introducing your kind of burgeoning fan base to people that you think are good as well. It's great curating music. It's really fun. It's tricky because you'll have people wanting to play and you don't think that they fit the bill um so you have to just it's a bit of a, an, a a lesson in diplomacy as well which was good training actually in terms of having um creative integrity about an artistic te- integrity about what you want to put on
1: yeah was it kind of a trip for you for for black horse and the cherry tree to kind of explode all it over was the radio
3: insane and it's funny because I have no problem with people saying it's an overnight success because it really was. Even though I took 10 years to get to that point, it was when I was asked to be on Jules Holland, uh, the show in the UK, which is kind of the holy grail for any musician. Absolutely amazing. So if you don't know the show, to give you an idea, Jules Holland was in the band Squeeze, incredible musician. He's now a uh, absolutely beloved TV presenter of the show later with Jules Holland and he brings together complete kind of disparate genres of music together well known all the way down to unknown so the night I was asked to do it I was actually on tour with my friend's band playing in his band um, and I had to zip back down to London and miss a gig because I got this last-minute opportunity because Naz the rapper pulled out and uh, they, the, the scouts had come and seen me in rehearsal and I, so I I ran back down to London from Northern England, and I and I didn't know what to play. And my record label boss was like, "Play that woohoo thing." <laughs> and the funny thing was, right, that Black Horse was written after the album was recorded, so it was not on the album. And I was like, "Dude, the." The, the song isn't even on the record and i thought black horse would be a good song for album two i was like i've got it in the bag yeah. i know what the single is for <laughs> you're he's like no 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 he said you need to play the horsey song <laughs> <laughs> i was like okay whatever you say um and so the to to give an example of the show on that night were jackson brown anita baker the cure and future heads who were great British band but i mean just an absolutely stellar lineup of people and I played this song and I'd been playing it in coffee shops with my loop pedal and people hadn't gone crazy they liked it but it wasn't like a big deal so I was used to doing it so I didn't think anything of it really it was just so exciting to be playing the show anyway I win the online poll of favorite artist of the night with the
0: cure and the
3: (laughs) Neil Baker Jackson Brown and I couldn't believe it and uh, Robert Smith was actually one of the first well-known musicians i had a conversation with and he was just it it stayed with me to this day he was it was like talking to a 20 year old who just started a band he was just so excited about their new record he was he was really uh just the most gracious guy and i it was so funny i said he said i said oh, well what are you doing this weekend <laughs> i didn't know what to say to people famous yeah. people he goes oh i'm gonna go and see my parents and i was like oh i said what what do they think of the whole like lipstick and hair thing, like, is that weird when you go home and he looks at me and goes i don't usually do the lipstick and hair when i go home to see my parents
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh yeah
3: oh yeah no you don't need to do it then
1: (laughs) that's awesome um cool i'm gonna move into a a musical break we're gonna move things forward a little bit uh i want to play a song off of uh Invisible Empire Crescent Moon. Awesome. Which thank is you. called uh Feel It All. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite oh, jams. And I know you did like two you. different versions, but yeah. uh this is just like the, the standard record edition. So the v- album version. Yeah. That's so my favorite
3: one. Awesome. And that one actually also features John Parrish, who is just a genius and his drumming on this track is so beautiful. And we did two versions because we had recorded it in the sessions in Tucson, Arizona. It was How Gelb from Giant Sound produced the record with me. And um, it had just come out a bit more jolly than I was expecting. And I really wanted a more pared down yeah. emotional blues uh, for it. And so we just gave it another crack when I got back to England and went to John Parrish's place. He's a great friend and collaborator of How Gelb's. And uh, and we nailed that. And and the lovely thing about that, too, was that we ended up making two videos um, and that was super cool. They're two of my favorite videos I've ever made,
1: actually. Awesome. Well, this is the jam. This is Feel It All.
2: I'm growing like a seed Rain's been falling away. I've been covered in cold, I've been shrouded in doubt, my heart is on a wire, sitting pretty like a bird, but the hunter is out, and the eagle is hurt. keep your eye out for me cause our heart is on a
1: like as your life has unfolded you're just continuing to write the most important songs of your life and the ones that are most personal to you
3: i think that's always the goal you're always trying to do that Uh, i think it takes a little hindsight to work out whether you've managed it or not and sometimes you're like at the time i can be oh my god this is the best record i've ever made and then i look back and think oh i was i was a little clouded maybe a little too over-invested in the production rather than the performance and the feel or um, you know I I love the record Tiger Suit my third record which was my nature techno record which I made in Berlin and I listen back to that and I love it but I think wow there's so much going on it's quite hard to hear the song sometimes as much as I love the sound of it Um, I think Invisible Empire was a really important moment for me. I'd, I'd had a, a huge upset in my personal life where my dad had died and I got divorced within like a month of that. It was this epif- wow. epiphany moment of kind of seeing your dad uh, in the funeral home, passed away, just going, I need to do what is right for me and be happy in my life. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, it's called the Satori moment in Eastern religion, where it's just the wake up, you know. And so after, and I and I managed to make that record during that time, which you know, it's always quite interesting making music when you're going through some serious shit. Yeah, healthy you can, process yeah. it. Yeah, I love this job because you can literally turn shit into gold. Right. Well, that's <laughs> which is a wonderful alchemical process, you know. Yeah. And I'm very grateful to be an artist for that reason because. And and so and, and often I'll listen to music that has that is saying something that I'm unable to express and I can connect with someone else's song and it, it's it's medicine. It's very medicinal.
0: Yeah,
1: that's definitely especially with that record, that that's mm. my favorite record Thank of yours. You. And I, I think it's just because it captures this this intimacy.
3: It's very raw.
1: And it's yeah. it's such a beautiful
0: record. I like, think
3: as well, I'd I'd been through quite enormous success at that point and I realized I'd become a very observational writer, and I think that I'd be—I'd started being afraid of being vulnerable, which is probably the worst curse of being a songwriter: um, is starting to do third-person shit and not actually saying how you feel. Yeah. And so the 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 record after Invisible Empire, Kin, which came out in two thousand sixteen. My other favorite record. Yeah, no, like these these last two records that that you put
1: out, like. I just think are are very special and especially with Ken, you, you talked about um Tiger Suit, yeah. kind of maybe losing a little bit of the songwriting yeah. in that. And I thought I think Ken is like such this beautiful oh, like thank you. melding of those two things. Like yeah. you can hear the songs, like the bare bones of them, but then also it it's complemented by these these great productions. Interesting. And it production. doesn't go yeah, like yeah. I feel like it doesn't go too far to overbear the yeah, the, the thank song. You. And and just yeah, it's just such a cool delivery of all. awesome of that.
3: well thank you i think invisible empire was like i i actually you in know in, in a non-negative way i really feel like that was the soundtrack to a funeral of a part of me where something died and it was quite profound and i i kind of after touring after touring that record i just lost the impetus to make records and tour it was so intense Making a record during that difficult time, and I don't think I really took enough time to recover and heal.
1: Probably because you were in the midst of was making in the all midst that. Of
3: it, and I think it was it was such a gift, running away to Arizona and making a record during all of that shit happening. Um, I didn't really think about the fact I was going to be on the road working it for a couple of years afterwards. And by the time I finished, I just felt very stagnant and kind of. It was also the first time I'd ever played solo. And so, it wasn't exactly that it was lonely, it was just that that record was very sedentary, and so I was playing solo to these huge, beautiful, seated theaters, which was an amazing experience, and it was a really cool show, but on an emotional front, it wasn't very good for me to be, uh, there wasn't a lot of joy for me in terms of getting sweaty and, and, and getting adrenaline flowing. And so, I think I just, I needed a reset. And so actually what happened was I packed my bags, sold everything and moved to Venice Beach, California, <laughs> thinking that I wouldn't make another record for 10 years and I was gonna write film scores instead. So I went and studied with uh, the Sundance Film Institute. I did the composer's lab up in Northern California at George Lucas's Skywalker Ranch where mix engineers go when they die. <laughs> it's awesome. It was just an amazing experience. and but i basically allowed myself to unplug and not and i needed to know that i could not do it that i could i could walk away because i just felt completely defined by being a musician and i was like that's not good that's not cool i need to know who i am and also be a musician and do music, but I don't want to be my job.
1: Yeah, it just becomes sort of this one-dimensional thing. Yeah,
3: it just didn't feel real, you know?
1: That's that. That's trying to achieve that balance, that life balance. I know,
3: so I really had to kind of cut the umbilical cord, so that was why I said that Invisible Empire kind of felt like a funeral soundtrack. And then, very surprisingly, Kin just appeared after driving around Mulholland Drive and PCH listening to Tom Petty and Fleetwood Mac and I just started writing these really big rock pop choruses in the middle of the night and if I'd I think if I'd been writing more of the folk stuff that was on Invisible Empire I probably would have just shelved it and not and not made another record for a while but the world had started to get a bit dark at that time you know things were feeling um were feeling like uh, you know, there was that shift in like 2015 where it just all felt like we were gonna have to start standing up and fighting for stuff. Which, as everybody always says, you got to do every generation. You've got to fight for your freedom. But it, it's never felt quite as in your face as it has recently. And uh, and these songs that I was coming out with were really really positive and all about coming through difficulty and not only surviving it but actually being a better person because you've been through that stuff and come out the other end you're wiser you're more humble you're more understanding of other people's problems you're you're literally a richer person and uh, and i thought you know what i think this is a good record to make right now and i think fans would appreciate it and it just felt like a good positive thing to put into the world
1: yeah it's so fun to listen to like it's yeah, a, it's just as and
3: it's funny because the verses are basically like this is the shit I just went through, and then the choruses are like, "Way we survived."
1: <laughs> Such is life.
3: Such is life. <laughs> Such is the verse and chorus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. um
3: maybe that's it maybe that's like the metaphor for life that all the shit you have to go through is like the verses and then when you're sitting back having a margarita with your friends on the beach that's the chorus
1: i love that that's beautiful
3: life is just one long song that might be
1: like one of my favorite things that's been said on this on this program well
3: Mm. i'm glad i just came up with
1: (laughs) it i know the bridge
3: is always really trippy
1: yeah uh, the life bridge. You mentioned kind of just being in that LA area where you, while you were making Kin. Has has environment always been a huge like influence yeah, on, on massive. your songwriting?
3: Yeah, nature is a, a an incredibly important mirror for me. And I find as I get older that, that writing for records is becoming a really fantastic excuse to go on some amazing trips. And it's lovely to say that they're writing trips because... Um, you know that you're gonna go and work, but you can also justify going somewhere really fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so for Kin, it was really important to me that it was a West Coast and Southern American record. And so um, I went up to Joshua Tree National Park, oh, stayed in a cabin for a week and wrote a bunch of songs and then had a great trip down to New Mexico. And uh, went to Santa Fe in Taos and stayed there for a week or so and saw like the, uh, the Pueblo, the Taos Pueblo Native American community performing their buffalo dance at New Year. And it was just and also all that Navajo rug weaving was really inspirational when it came to the artwork. I wanted a kind of modern take on on that tapestry making and that weaving where everything kind of relates to family and community and and connection it's all about connection right and and that's really what ken is about
1: yeah man i went i went to joshua tree for the first time in january oh amazing i grew up not too far from there so it's funny that that was my first time going but did
3: you check out the integratron
0: I don't know. Okay,
3: you need to go back. What is that? So the Integratron is this wicked like building that's in the desert, uh, not far from Pioneertown, where okay. ha- ha- Pappy and Harriet's is the venue. And it looks like a little observatory, so it has a domed roof, but it's this guy from the 70s who said that the blueprints were downloaded because he got abducted by extraterrestrials, and he built this building that's acoustically perfect so that basically if you're one side of the dome and you say something very quietly someone on the other side can hear it perfectly it kind of travels over the dome oh. but you go in there and you can do a quartz crystal sound bath meditation they have all these massive quartz bowls that correspond with each chakra and they and for half an hour someone plays these bowls and you do like a group meditation but the guy was i can't remember his name unfortunately but he was really also really friendly with nikolai tesla and around the outside of this building, there's like twelve huge lightning rods, and they were basically trying to build a time portal,
1: <laughs> which I, I'm sure you love because that word it. on the street is yeah, that you're that- like a pretty big sci-fi fan.
3: I like my sci-fi, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I would I would encourage anyone and everyone to visit to visit the Integratron. All
1: right, that's that's definitely on the list for yeah. the next Joshua Tree trip. um I know that you mentioned tom petty earlier mm. and and pretty recently you released a cover of, of i won't back down and you, you yeah. did that with mike mccready of pearl Jam yeah legends um yeah how did that how did that come together so i to met work mike,
3: with mike? mike we both um are part of this group of musicians who sometimes go up to park city around the sundance film festival and play some shows at this great place called the montage hotel up there and um, we met during that so we're both very keen skiers and we're skiing together. And we sort of said, we said then, like, it'd be great to do something. And uh, and then the opportunity came just a, a couple of months back where I just zipped up to Seattle and m- myself and Mike and Leah Julius, who's the drummer from Thunder Pussy, the Seattle band, just, uh, she's the bassist actually, but she's a great drummer. And we, we uh, jumped into Mike's basement studio and we really wanted to do a Tom Petty song. We're both huge fans. He's just one of our favorite musicians. And, um, and I Won't Back Down just seems like the perfect choice because it's just still such a relevant anthem for standing up for what you believe in and, and, and not giving in to injustice. And uh, with all the amazing peaceful protests and marches that are taking place and the kind of grindswell of people power that's going on, um, we kind of just wanted to to offer... A soundtrack to some of that stuff and the video was super cool we just asked fans to send in videos and pictures of what they'd been up to just really uh taking their time out to go and stand up for what they felt was right
1: yeah and i thought you guys did just a really cool job of
3: yeah thank you creating
1: your own vibe with it and making it even more anthemic yeah you know? it's
3: hard to do with a song like that because you know you know you're gonna piss someone off <laughs> yeah even touching a classic song like that but there's no point in doing it if you're not gonna do something a little original with it in, in terms of putting your own spin on it and and it actually came together really quick we just jammed it and uh, it was awesome really cool yes yeah, mike's it, hilarious <laughs> he is like he, that guy could be a stand-up comedian honestly he's so funny and he always wanted to sing and he i don't think he gets to sing with pearl jam really so yeah he, so he does wicked backing vocals on that track
1: yeah pearl jam is like such a big fucking deal to me so yeah and, it's and, also
3: if eddie vetter is your lead singer is there any point in having a microphone <laughs> yeah
1: that's funny uh i was watching that history of the eagles documentary oh yeah i saw that and it was good. there's that moment where uh where the guitar player had written hotel california and wanted to sing it and it's just like no dude uh. don henley's in the band and he's gonna fucking sing it because yeah. don henley's in the band <laughs> so, but it's it's always uh I've, I've just always heard really great things about Mike McCready, which I yeah, think is, like, it's so awesome to hear people's encounters with somebody that's in a band of that level just because you hear so many horror stories about, like, meeting your heroes or, or yeah. these people. Yeah, so. it's a
3: mixed bag, isn't it? I mean, we're humans, so yeah. not everyone's going to be what you want. But Mike's, um, Mike's a great guy, and just I, I I I so appreciate meeting complete one-offs, and he's definitely one of those.
1: Yeah, is is collaborating with other artists something that, like, really fuels your...
3: It's definitely something that I've been more interested in as I've got older. I think that uh, you 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 know your ego is is kind of constantly on fire when you first start out doing this, and um, and also you've got a lot to say when you when you're starting out, and it's important to bed in and be yourself and not dilute yourself too much, and um, and I think my first my the first collaboration I did. On a record that really was a, a a kind of it wasn't just a guest it was a proper collaboration with was was with James Bay right on Kin and it was such a great experience he's a phenomenal musician he's off the chart he could have when we actually recorded it he could have easily just done it in a wonder he's just pitch perfect and the great guitar player but he was just sending me we were kind of emailing back and forth to finish two-way the song that we did together and he was sending me these sketches of him singing in hotel bathrooms while on tour and i was like dude you need to make a hotel bathroom record because this (laughs) sounds amazing and then yeah he was just coming through la on a sunday when we were in this we happened to be in the studio and he came in and we laid it down and it was it it was um it was a really, really fulfilling experience of of creating something that I would have, wouldn't have done on my own, you know.
1: Right on, and I know you said at the beginning on this tour you're you're out there alone with just you and the yeah. guitar out there.
3: Well, and all my and, electronics. And you're, you're, <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, do you do you have to approach a show like that differently than if you had musicians on the
0: stage? Oh, with for you?
3: sure. I think that you know, if it's a band, I mean, I'm I'm probably touring solo slightly more than i am with a band now it's it's the one bane of being a solo artist is it's so expensive to tour with a band because you're paying everyone and sometimes everyone else is getting paid apart from you right because they're getting their fee you know yeah and uh, you're just sort of trying to juggle it to make it work it's just extortionate to take a big crew of people out on the road if you're not kind of at a level where you're printing t-shirts in the parking lot you know (laughs) so um so i kind of just have to judge it as i go i love playing with a band it's it's incredibly exciting and you can really create something that isn't there on the record you can really kind of expand it um but there's something incredibly powerful about getting up solo and playing and creating that sound on your own. And still, as I travel around the world, but a lot of people haven't seen someone do that. And so they're going, how are you doing that? Then you you bashed your guitar and then it sounded like a drum. And I'm like, yeah, just recording it. And uh, it's all live and people can see and immediately understand what's happening. And um, I think particularly being a woman, it's just... it's. Um, People really, really appreciate it, seeing something strong and powerful and loud and sassy and uh, full of attitude. So it's, it feels like a really important part of what I do.
1: Yeah, the, f- the first artist I ever saw kind of work a looping station really well was Howie Day.
3: Oh, yeah, sure. He's great. And, yeah,
1: And I just don't think maybe the casual music listener understands the precision that has to go into what you're doing up there and the the timing cannot be yeah it
3: was really funny because this woman came up to me after a gig she was like i've got a bone to pick with you kt i was like what's wrong she goes i bought my husband one of those loopers and it sounds shitty (laughs) and i said what do you mean she goes well he does it and it's all over the place it doesn't sound any good i said babe i don't think it's the looper I think the tech is fine, man. <laughs> but no, it it does require basically perfect timing. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And uh, I was a tap dancer as a kid. And I genuinely think that that coordination that I learned when I was young um, between hands and feet and rhythm and playing along to music and also practicing playing to a metronome when I was young because of classical training, those things are really important in terms of, of keeping time, and my guitar tech Oliver, um, who's a brilliant guitarist, actually said to me, "Katie, I was, I just need to tell you that it's really cool how on it you are with the rhythm." I was like, "Thanks, man. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it." But yeah, it's um, it's it's a pretty innate feeling thing. It, it feels like you kind of, you you've got the rhythm, you know. Not everyone can be a drummer for it. That right, way, right, right, right. You
1: know? Yeah. Well, I know you got you got a gig to prepare for Yeah, I can hear the kick tonight. drum.
3: I can hear the kick drum starting up. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I appreciate your songwriting yeah. so much. Thank and, you. And I really well,
3: I am really excited for you to hear the next record. It's uh, it's I mean I don't know if I've always said this, but it feels like my favorite yet. And uh, I made it with Nick McCarthy from Franz Ferdinand. He's produ- producing, nice. and uh, so it's a real it's a rock record, and it's all kind of centered around electric guitar, which I haven't done before. But I am uh, I'm really excited about it. I think it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great ride, and I'm gonna be going out with all female musicians on this one, which is really cool. And oh, that's I'm so looking cool! Looking forward to
1: that. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, your last two records, Kin and Invisible Empire and Crescent Moon, are. Those are my two favorite records. So, like, I I really look forward to hearing the next one. Yeah.
3: Well, it's a this. I don't know if 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 you knew, but this is a trilogy that I'm making now. So, Kin was actually the first. It was it was a post release thing where I had this kind of epiphany, where I was like, actually, I want to make three records. They're all going to have three letter titles, and I want it to be. Uh, soul body and mind and oh, so that's beautiful. ken is the soul record all about the spirit overcoming and then this new one is going to be oh it's all about the body it's all visceral gritty dirty physical humanness yeah yeah
1: well i'm stoked to stoked to hear and awesome. hopefully get to catch up with you next time you yeah, cruise through the, the portland area we end every episode of the podcast with the guests saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program so if you (laughs) could give us what does
3: that
0: mean
1: uh it's it's just how like my grandfather says program like (laughs) the news program you know so (laughs) the tagline for the show is it's a program and it doesn't really mean anything it's just a goofy way to end the show so if you could give us a good it's a program we can uh sail this thing out
3: well this is katie tunstone it's a program
1: yeah that was beautiful (laughs) you nailed it uh thank you so much i really enjoyed our chat and i'm gonna play it out with a jam off of kin uh, probably my favorite song, and it's called uh, Turn to Light On. Woo! <laughs> this is it. We'll catch you on the flip side, Portland.
3: it's a program.